Good morning. As Lou said, my name's Dan, and uh, it is a joy for us to, to welcome you here, especially if you're new. Great to see some uh, visitors with us together this morning. I'd like to begin by asking you to, to think of the most spiritual person you know. And uh, I'm not assuming you're a Christian. Uh, you know, maybe you're not, but you probably know someone who's, uh, you would think, religious or something like that. Think of the most spiritual person you know, a person who you think walks closely with God. Uh, they might not describe themselves like this, but you think of them as a mighty prayer warrior. You know, they, they're praying about anything you can imagine. They're praying about it. You kind of think of that kind of person. And I know there's probably, well, there are, I think, some of those here, I would say. Uh, I know uh, a lady in her 90s whose walls in her flat are plastered with lists of the people who she's praying for. And uh, I met her uh, back in the 90s, and, and, and since then, I think she's prayed for me every day, and I believe that that's the case, and uh, you know, she's an incredible woman of prayer, and uh, there was a time uh, several years back where something was happening, something was going on, and I discovered that she was praying about this thing, and I thought, right, if Betty's praying about it, then it's going to be okay, she's got it, she's sorted it, she's covering it. Now, um, I don't actually think it quite works like that, and uh, of course, we don't always receive what we long for and plead for. I don't think this is quite how God orders things. I don't think he links his answers so tightly uh, to our faithfulness in praying. But it, it feels to me like if Betty's praying for something, uh, then it feels like it ought to be more likely that that thing's going to happen. Do you know anyone like that? Well, forget Betty for a moment. What about if Jesus prays something? What about if God the Son, the eternal Son of the Father who's always existed in perfect relationship with his father. What about if he prays something? And uh, so as we continue this uh, series in John and continue looking at chapter 17 this morning in, in a prayer of Jesus, this is things that he prayed, that the son of the father prayed. And so we can hear and be encouraged. We can have confidence. That, you know, we kind of worry about our prayers sometimes and get all worked up about them. We can have confidence in the Father's answering the Son's prayers. We can hear and learn deeper the heart of the Son, and therefore the Father who he reveals. We can detect in these prayers the things that matter to him, the things that are on his heart. We can hear and be changed into his likeness. We can take on board these concerns that he has and make them our burdens for prayer in our own prayer lives. So we're joining this prayer halfway through. If you missed last week, uh, then you can catch up online. The uh, message from last week's on the church website if you missed it. Um, but we're going to join it in John chapter 17, and I'm going to read uh, from that. It's on page 1085 in the Blue Church Bibles, 1085. John chapter 17, and I'm going to read from verse 6. I have revealed you... To those whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. 
Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too (coughs) may be truly sanctified. Uh, Now before we go much further, it would be helpful to step back for a moment uh, and consider what John, the human author of this gospel, refers to uh, when he writes the word world. This is under, um, important for our understanding of what Jesus means in his prayer. Uh, Jesus mentioned the word world quite a lot. You might have noticed that. Uh, it comes up quite a bit in here. And, and when John writes about the world, he's not writing about the, kind of, about the universe, about the kind of, um, the kind of planetary kind of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the created order, especially kind of human beings, human affairs, in rebellion against God our creator, its maker. John uh, chapter 15, a few chapters earlier, uh, is typical of, of how Jesus uses the word world. He writes, uh, John writes in chapter, or Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. This is John's, when John writes the world, he's writing about the world which hates Jesus and hates his followers. Humanity in rebellion against God. And so here in verse 14 of chapter 17, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. And if you're familiar with John's gospel, you might be thinking right now, well, hold on a minute. Uh, Isn't John the one who says God so loved the world? that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And yes, he is. John does say that. It's in chapter 3, verse 16 of John's Gospel. But far from being an endorsement of the world, far from being a verse which says the world's so great, isn't the world wonderful, God loves it so much, that he gave his son. That's not what's meant. Far from saying that, it's more saying about how amazing God is. It's more about how much he is to be loved and admired because even this world, even this world which hates the Son who the Father sent and those who follow him, even this world, God loves so much to that extent. And so the world in John is kind of quite an important theme. And again, you kind of might be thinking of chapter 4. Jesus has met this woman of Samaria. Remember that story if you were here? And she goes off after meeting him, goes into her town. And all the townspeople come out and they kind of finally say, John chapter 4, verse 42, they say, we no longer believe because of what you said. But we know, we've heard, we see for ourselves, this man is the saviour of the world. And again, it's not because the world is, is a really great place in John's thinking. It's not saying anything positive about the world. It's saying that the world needs a saviour. And Jesus has come to be that. So when we read of the world in this prayer of Jesus, 
we, we need to keep in mind that it's referring essentially to, to the created order, to humanity in rebellion against its maker. And Jesus is praying for those whom the Father has given to the Son. We saw that last week um, in uh, verse 2 and verse 6. That Jesus is praying for those who the Father has given to the Son. They were part of the world, but the Father has taken them, gave them to the Son out of the world. The ones who Jesus prayed for belonged to God before he came. And when Jesus came, the Father took them out of the world and gave them to his Son, who showed God to them. And we might kind of, um, you know, from, from a human point of view, how can we recognize those? How do we know those who the Father's given to the Son out of the world? And we see their response to God's disclosure of himself, God's making himself known in Jesus, the one who reveals God to us, the Word. At one level, everything that Jesus said and did was visible to everyone. He knew everyone of the time. He would, these things were done in public. He said so much in public. But of these people that Jesus is referring to and praying for now, Jesus can testify that they have obeyed your word. And when Jesus uses that word, word, when he's saying who these people are, who he's praying for, they're those who were in the world. The Father gave them to him. They've obeyed the word. That is the message about who he is, the message of God revealing himself to humanity, revealing himself chiefly in the person of his son. We might kind of talk about that word as when we talk about the gospel, the whole message of God making himself known, of God coming to us, giving himself to us in love. They've obeyed that word, that gospel message. And they hadn't got it all completely. They hadn't got it completely sorted. They weren't completely mature. But they committed themselves to Jesus. They committed themselves to him as the Messiah. And you know, we kind of might recognize in ourselves a bit of that tension of, yes, we're ones who want to be the ones who obey him, who obey that gospel message, who have believed in that, who accept him, receive Jesus as the one who sent from the Father. And yet we wobble and stumble. But they, these disciples who Jesus was praying for were marked out from the world. You could see that they were different. You could see that they'd received him. And so in John uh, earlier on in chapter 6, when other followers of Jesus, others who kind of were sort of pretend, um, being disciples in, in a sense, when they decide that Jesus is teaching too many hard things, they disappear. They go away. But these ones who Jesus is praying for now are the ones who say, you have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? So Jesus is praying for those who are his followers, who were in the world, who were off the world, but the Father has chosen them and taken them out of the world and given them to the Son. They're still in the world, but they're no longer of the world. And they're given by the Father to the Son. They receive the revelation of God that he gives, that, that is in Jesus, and they obey that gospel message, that word. And in this prayer, in the original Greek language, this kind of tension between the world and those who, has father, who the Father has given to Jesus it is, is even stronger. Uh, the Greek says, You're not for the world I pray, but for those you've given me. There's a, there's a sharp contrast between these. The Father loves the world so much that he sends his Son. 
He's the one who is the savior of the world. But he sends his son to bring us out of the world. However wide is the love of God, someone has written. However, however much Jesus stands in, towards salvation, towards the world, there's this peculiar relationship of love, intimacy, disclosure, obedience, faith, dependence, joy, peace, blessing and fruitfulness that binds the disciples together and with God himself. And Jesus, as we saw last week, is about to leave his disciples. So frequently in these uh, chapters, in this briefing that we've been looking at, Jesus is describing uh, his, what's about to happen. He's going to the cross in his death and his resurrection. He's been describing it as he's going to the Father. I'm coming to you, he says here. No longer will he be in the world. And his disciples, aided by the Holy Spirit, will have to face the world's temptations and the world's hostility without the help of his immediate presence with them and protection. But as Lou said last week, Jesus is praying for the one he loves, ones he loves. He's knowing they'll be left behind as he faces his death on the cross. But his concern is that they be protected. Uh, in these verses, uh, particularly kind of 11 to 16, Jesus prays that his disciples will be protected. I will remain in the world no longer, verse 11, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Or a bit later on in verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they were not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. John's readers who might be considering responding to his message of their need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, sent to give life. Those who are maybe considering putting their trust in him to receive the life that he brings. They needed to hear what they were getting into, uh, as do we, if we're considering starting out on the journey of faith in Jesus. Uh, Other gospel writers uh, record Jesus encouraging those who would follow him to count the cost before embarking on that life-changing journey. And here, in the last verse of the previous chapter, the last recorded words of Jesus before beginning this prayer Jesus reminded his disciples in chapter 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're not withdrawn from the world. We don't get to escape it yet. But nor are we to be confused with the world. We're to be distinct from it with the help of Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit that he sends to be with us, to protect us. Doubtless, those who were reading this in John's day, uh, in that culture, uh, knew very well the implications of this. It's not so, um, it's not so evident to us, is it, in, in the West. The persecution that we might face is not so evident. But there is this cosmic spiritual nature of conflict it's the evil one who we face as an enemy and we don't get to escape it but we are assured the safety that God provides the prayer as the answer to the prayer of his own dear son will be answered and in verse 12 Jesus said he's protected and kept safe those that the father has given him and as surely as the father hears the prayers of his son 
will be protected. So there's this prayer here for protection. But uh, also, did you notice how Jesus addressed his father in verse 11? Have a look again at verse 11 of John 17. uh, And he says, uh, towards the end of that verse, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And that's kind of a really important uh, uh, title that he's praying for his father there. It kind of helps us understand a bit more of the prayer later on. It, it kind of, yeah, Holy Father. It's got this kind of awesome transcendentness, isn't it? Holy. Uh, we'll think about what that word means in a minute. And Father, that kind of intimacy, someone who is in, in the family, uh, that's, the kind of, that's what it's meant to evoke. But it prepares the way for what he's going to talk about in these words of uh, sanctification, or maybe your translations say consecration, these words of setting apart, uh, which are in these verses, particularly uh, verses 18, uh, 17 sorry, to 19. And the Greek, original Greek word in there is about making holy. When he's praying that we be sanctified, or he's been sanctified, or we're setting apart, it's about making holy. And that's making holy Jesus, making holy his disciples. The holiness of the Father here where he prays, Holy Father, the holiness of the Father establishes what it means for the Son and his followers to set themselves apart. And, and the root of Jesus' holiness and of ours is tied up in our relationship with the Father. In Leviticus, uh, a book in the Old Testament part of the Bible, uh, God says this uh, to his people, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Uh, And Jesus kind of picks that sort of theme up in Matthew. He says, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5. And Peter, in 1 Peter 1, quotes the Leviticus passage for for New Testament uh, followers of Jesus. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now what's this all about? I've got a a, a little aid here. Uh, This, if you can't see it from the back, is a washing up brush. And uh, I did think about bringing a toilet brush with me as well. But it's a bit gross, isn't it? And uh, so you just have to imagine I've got a toilet brush in that hand. Now, these are kind of common things, aren't they, that we kind of get, I think. Most of us will have used a toilet brush, and most of us will have used a washing up brush. And we have them in our homes, or our halls, or our flats, or uh, here in the building. We have these things, and we, we don't talk about them as being sanctified, but we get that they're set apart, don't we? Have you ever used, has anyone ever used, and I think you should actually publicly confess this, a toilet brush to do your washing up? No, that would be disgusting, wouldn't it? The toilet brush is set apart for that disgusting job. Well, let's not go there. The washing up brush, you would, has anyone ever used that to clean the toilet? No. No. Thank you, Jane. No, you use your washing up glove to, uh, brush to do the washing up. Yes. Okay, we get it. We understand this, this principle of being set apart for something. The washing up brush set apart for the washing up. Toilet brush set apart for the toilet. That's going to help us understand this in a moment. But let's just, before we do, holy uh, in the Bible can, you know, can refer to different things. It's a word which primarily describes God. He is alone, is, is completely, fully holy. 
He's transcendent. He's above everything. He's separate from his creation. He's distinct. He is other. He is other. John will be shown a vision of the throne room of God in heaven uh, later on, and he records it in chapter 4 of Revelation. And he describes angelic beings around the throne. Day and night, John writes, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That cry echoes a vision that the prophet Isaiah saw. In a sense, God alone is holy in this full sense, completely other, completely above us, perfect, radiant brilliance. Because God is holy, though, people and things that are reserved for him can also be referred to as holy. Uh, So a little bit like our washing up brush, a little bit like our washing up brush, In the Old Testament, the furniture and some of the utensils used in the tabernacle, the the temple, the place where God's people would go to meet with him. The furniture and the utensils could be described as holy, as could the man set apart to be the the high priest, the one who would go and do the offering. He was holy. He was the washing up brush. He He was set apart to do not the washing up, but set apart to go and represent the people before God. And that could be said of prophets as well. Prophets and priests were set apart for sacred duty, reserved for God. That's kind of all the background that would be known to, to those who, who read John. And then, and then there's kind of these moral uh, implications, which we perhaps think of more readily when we hear the word holy today in our culture. I think when we hear the word holy, we probably think about someone who's you know, very uh, moral, perhaps, or something like that. But that's where it comes from. If someone is set apart to be the washing up brush, then they're going to be quite you know, into washing up, aren't they? They're going to be the, the they're going to be used to the soap and the water, and that, you know they're going to be very clean. That's the kind of thing they're into. And so, us, if we're set apart to be, or if the priest or the prophet is set apart to be holy, set apart for God's use, dedicated to Him, then their their morality is going to be reflected, isn't it? They're going to um, absorb and take on the things that God loves, that God wants. And they're going to hate the things that God hates. That's what it means to be holy as God is holy. So look again at verse 17 to 19 of John 17. Sanctify, set apart them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus is the one who the Father set apart, who he sent as his very own into the world, dedicated to him in that kind of sense. The Father reserved the Son for his own purposes in his mission into the world. Jesus also says that he sanctified himself. It wasn't just that the Father sent him. Jesus sanctified himself, verse 19, set himself apart to do what the Father gave to him. And in John, being set apart like this is linked to mission. There's a reason, there's a, there's a purpose for this. It's not just to kind of, you know, uh, imagine you kind of put your washing up brush uh, on the shelf in the kitchen perhaps or on the wall in a nice box display cabinet that you kind of you know, present this nice set apart washing up brush that is set apart for washing up except it never does any. 
That's, that's not the idea here. The idea is we're set apart for a purpose. This washing up brush is set apart to wash things. We're set apart for mission. Set apart to bring God's blessing to the world. Bring God's salvation. Bring God's love to the world. And so Jesus prays that God will set apart the disciples. But before we think a bit more about what that means, just notice the means of this being set apart. Jesus prays, sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus expects his father to use the truth to set us apart. And so we need to be soaked up in in that revelation of God in the Son. We needed to to be, as we saw, if you were here a few weeks ago, guided by the Holy Spirit into all the truth. Someone has written that Jesus' followers will be set apart from the world, reserved for God's service, insofar as they think and live in conformity with the truth, the word of revelation supremely given through Christ. Remember, he said himself in chapter 14, I am the truth. And uh, at the beginning of John's gospel, it describes Jesus as being the revelation, the self-disclosure of God. So what this means for us practically is that we can't be set apart, sanctified for the Lord's use without soaking up this revelation, without learning to, to absorb it, without learning to live in this kind of gospel, without receiving this gospel and living in it. The opposite, the thing that makes the world the world is suppression, denial of this truth, a profound rejection of God's gracious word, of his self-disclosure in Christ. But there's a really added dimension which I want to get onto in verse 19 of Jesus sanctifying himself, as we've already thought about And he says, verse 19, do you notice this? For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. If you've read this far in John, and you didn't just start this morning, but you started at the beginning and you read this far, and as Lou said, I think, last week, you know that the time that that Jesus has been pointing towards, which has now come, this hour, this central mission, a central purpose of the mission of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his return to God the Father, you know that that time, that hour, has now come. When Jesus sanctifies himself, he's talking about sanctifying himself, setting himself apart to the sacrifice of the cross. And readers familiar with the Old Testament part of the Bible, which John's original readers would have been, would would detect the language of passages there where sacrificial animals were, were consecrated or set apart for death for God's people's sin. That's the background. And here Jesus is now setting himself apart. Because ultimately, the way that any of us are made holy is by the blood of Jesus. Ultimately, the way that any of us are made holy, any of us are set apart for God's mission in the world, is by the blood of Jesus, by his life given for us. Sacrificially, sacrificially ended for us, as will happen within hours of this prayer. As we remember later in our time together this morning, by sharing bread and juice, for them I sanctify myself, 
that they too may be truly sanctified. And this really is a a key message that we all need to hear and a key part of this word from God that we need to respond to. And if uh, you found things a little confusing and you'd like to talk a bit more about this, then I'd really love to talk with you afterwards. That'll be in the foyer, uh, just where you came through on the way in. We're We're not set apart in exactly the same way as Jesus. Our mission is not to be the great high priest of God, the perfect and ultimate priest who offers the perfect and ultimate sacrificial offering. And yet we are set apart to join in his mission of ministering the love of God to this rebellious world. We have a part to play in his mission of bringing salvation to the nations. This is uh, the mission we're celebrating Anna being sent on this morning. And it's the mission the rest of us are sent out on in the the whole of our lives. Uh, Whether that's the person you welcome and speak with after our final song this morning, someone you seek to bring nearer to the salvation of Jesus later today, or, whether, or whatever your front line uh, you find yourself in tomorrow. And maybe uh, writing down or, or taking a photo of verses 18 to 19 uh, and uh, you know, just looking at them again in the morning or tomorrow lunchtime or whenever, maybe that would be a helpful way of just thinking through What does it mean for me to be set apart in holiness for the mission of Jesus where he's placed me? What does it mean for me to be set apart in holiness for the mission of Jesus where he's placed me? Jesus continues in his prayer uh, from verse 20, which we'll just read uh, briefly uh, before we finish. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That might be some of us in this room today. That's encouraging, isn't it? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. Well, there's some uh, great stuff there. Sorry, I didn't finish that reading, did I? I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Uh, There's some great stuff there. Uh, We're not going to go into the the, the language of glory this morning. That was covered last week. Uh, So do catch up on that if you've missed that uh, and want to kind of pick up on that theme. Uh, We're not going to go that much into the language Uh, uh, this astonishing language of how God loves us uh, which we kind of read about here we've we've thought about that a bit uh, earlier on in this series as well but it's worth noting it though uh, this incredible love that we are loved with we've seen before how Jesus has told us that we're loved uh, as he is loved by the Father so are we loved 
And it's incredible. It's astonishing, that love that we're brought into. But it's all connected with this theme of unity, that all of them may be one. That we may be one as Jesus and the Father are one, so that we might be brought to complete unity. And this is just worth noting, because this is the prayer of Jesus. This is the, the end of his prayer on the night before he goes to the cross. What's on his heart? The unity of his people. The oneness of his church. It's a unity that's observable. The world will see it. Excuse me. But it's really important, isn't it? It's really significant. This is what's on the Lord Jesus' heart as he goes to the cross. His prayer that his church may be one. Even as he and the Father are one. Not just kind of, you know, we chat to each other on a Sunday. That's not quite how much the Father and, and the Son are one, is it? But that we're one in this intimacy, in this closeness. It's unity in Christ, in the truth as he's revealed it. It's not just kind of, you know, uh, oh, um, oh, you believe there's a God. Great, we're one. <laughs> it's unity in Christ, and unity in the revelation that he's revealed, in the gospel word that he's revealed. It's important We need to pray for it and work at it. It will cost us. As we've seen already in this series, love will cost us. And we can expect that we probably won't get this perfectly right yet. Notice his prayer in verse 23. uh, So that they may be brought to complete unity. I'm not sure that he expects us to be there yet. But it's something that we should be longing for, praying for, giving of ourselves for so that we might share richly in that unity with each other and that fellowship with the Father and the Son. And there's, the, again, a missional side to this as well, that if the world sees that, that love, that out-of-this-world love, extraordinary love and, and unity, if the world sees that, and Jesus says twice here, at first in verse 19, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So if the world sees our love, if we get this right, or God working in us helps us to get this right, and the world sees that love, then they'll believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. They'll believe in that revelation. They'll believe in his word. But also, verse 23, as we you know, head towards this complete unity, then the world will know that you've sent me, and also the world will know that the Father has loved us even as he's loved the Son. That's quite an exciting thing to invite people into, isn't it? A community of unity, of deep intimacy, of deep love, of love which puts the other first. And a love which isn't just enjoyed horizontally between ourselves, but actually that we're invited in to share the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think that's quite an attractive prospect. I'm going to finish uh, by praying uh, now, and then um, I think the band are going to come up and lead us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the encouragements that comes from just knowing that you pray for us. 
Thank you for the privilege of being able to read here actual words that you prayed for us. Thank you too, though, Lord, for knowing that you ever live to intercede for us, to plead on our behalf as our great high priest. And so, Lord, along, with, uh, along the lines of what you were praying in this prayer this morning, that we've looked at this morning, we pray that you would protect us, that you'd protect us from the evil one as we live in the world uh, which we're still in, uh, even though we've been uh, chosen out of it. Lord, how we need your protection. And so we pray you'd protect us. And not just those of us here in this room now or those who are kind of regularly around in the city, but I want to pray this especially, your protection for our global partners um, and, and particularly those who are in places where um, the threat of persecution looms so much larger. And not just our global partners, Lord, but our brothers and sisters in the worldwide church. Living and worshipping and being set apart for you in places where the opposition and hostility of the world is uh, so much more immediate and challenging to them. Father, please, uh, would you protect your people. And please, too, fill us with the joy of Jesus the Son. Thank you for that uh, prayer here as well, that we might have the full measure of the joy of Jesus within us. And Father, also, would you set us apart in holiness for the mission that you called us to? Please help us to overcome our our own weakness and struggles uh, as well as attacks from outside that we might be truly holy set apart and dedicated for your use for your mission to be sent into the world to bring the blessing that you so long to give to it Thank you, Father, that it's so true that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son. And Father, we pray that it might be said of us that you so love the world that you set us apart for mission to bring the world into you know your Son and you and your salvation. And we pray too, Father, that you would unite us, help us, to know what it is to be one with each other. And Father, help us to work that. We thank you um, for the, the spirit of unity there is in the city among your church. And Father, we pray you guard and protect that. So we don't just pray for us here in, in the Portsford family, but we pray for brothers and sisters across the city that you keep us united, and increase our unity, make us ever more Uh, one as you, Father, and the Son are one. And we pray too that we'd increase in unity with you, that we'd increase in uh, knowing the joy 
of sharing in the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Thank you so much that you call us into this astonishing privilege. What great love you've lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Father, thank you that you've adopted us to share in your love. Please help us to enter ever deeper into that. Amen.